Hey everybody. Thanks for checking out something to wrestle. Both Bruce and myself greatly appreciate your support. But right here at the top of the show, before we get started today, I wanted to send a shout out to friend of the show, Jay Fratt, who tweeted me a picture yesterday. And uh, I just wanted to give him a shout out here. He says, I'll just leave this here. And then it's a screenshot that says old mortgage number of months left 317 new mortgage number of months left 240 months off of loan 77. Think about that 77 house payments gone years off loan 6.4 total savings $206,906 and 53 cents. That's worth repeating. $206,906.53. This is what Jay saved at SaveWithConrad.com. He made sure to put in the tweet, oh, by the way, my monthly payments went up a whopping $13. Thank you to Larry, Jennifer, Philip, and the entire team for making this decision super easy to go through. Cannot recommend looking into this info enough. So there you go. SaveWithConrad.com. Save Jay and his family. $206,906. And in order to save that money and cut 77 payments off of his loan, he's paying 13 extra dollars a month. Step one is to go to savewithconrad.com. Step two is to do a quick application, either online or over the phone. And step three is for us to give you three or four different money saving ideas. And once you finish step four and pick the right option for you, you're off to the races. It really is that easy. This is a real life example of someone who listens to this show and then went to savewithconrad.com to take my challenge. Find out how much money you can save for free. It's no cost. It's no obligation and you don't need perfect credit. So why wouldn't you do this? And oh, by the way, we're licensed in more than 40 states so we can help more families than ever before. So even if you've taken a look once upon a time into refinancing, it's worth another look right now. It was worth nearly 207 grand to Jay. Find out how much money you can save right now at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? You won't have to make your payment in July or August. You're done until September 1st. And come September, you've got a better mortgage. Get out of debt now. Keep more of your own money. Go to SaveWithConrad.com. Welcome. Do something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, yeah, but me. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. Say something I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. Scared to shock him. Thank you, Bruce. I love you. Take the double cheeseburger. You take the bread. Double cheese. You know. And then double mayo. You know. It's called chicken salad. Double onion, motherfucker. You're nothing but an egg sucking dog. Throw it in your Google machine. Goddamn, kid. Goddamn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Ooh, yeah. What say you? Run out. Something to wrestle with. Con Bruce Pritchard. Eek, the second most recognizable athlete in the entire world today. Conrad Olsen. What happened when? Huh? What would Vince say about that? Well, hey, Vince. Tell you. Yeah. My show arms look good tonight. Yeah. The 
so big. Let's go. Bullshit. Welcome to WrestleMania. World title man. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, you know, just hanging out, just doing nothing and watching the leaves blow by and uh, enjoying the beautiful weather. Yeah, I'm sure you've been doing a lot of that lately. Uh, In all seriousness, we uh, apologize for the delay for something to wrestle. But as you've probably heard, well, uh, it's an interesting time in America. Uh, So without further ado, let's jump into what we're talking about today. Of course, the title of this episode is Slammiversary 2017, but really it's a whole lot more than that. Bruce, I thought it might be fitting for us to tell the story of how, well, if you're on the outside looking in, doing a massive podcast that just shits all over the parent company might be a good way to get hired, huh? <laughs> Shit all over anybody. Oh, Much less Lord. my parents or their company. Oh my gosh. Of course, we're talking about when you got back into wrestling and when we first started something to wrestle back in August of 2016, wrestling was in your rearview mirror. You had no interest in, in doing anything with the business, but didn't hate the idea thanks to my persistence of, okay, I'll tell old stories once a week for an hour or two. And before you know it, uh, we started to gain quite a bit of momentum here on the show and one thing leads to another and I start campaigning for a TNA topic on our polls at the time. And they lost over and over and over and over. So I finally forced the issue and it breaks every download record we ever had. And of course me being, uh, the type of guy I am, I remember the old saying in radio, you play the hits kid. So we come back and do a part two and get even more in depth. And all the shenanigans you experienced during your time with impact wrestling. And eventually your phone rang, carry me through how in the world this all happened. Well, you know, it's, it's actually, there's a couple different sides to all of this that here we are, you know, it's 2016 and we start the podcast and, and everything's going and we have that monumental, uh, whole radicals episode that we did that just did gangbusters and over 370 some odd thousand downloads in in a day or so. And somebody said to us, wow, you guys got a hit. And so we remember how I was nervous as hell. I didn't want to do, um, the Orlando live show. I said, Oh God, man, I don't want to promote a show that nobody's going to come to. Nobody cares. And so all this stuff is happening, and out of the blue, I get a phone call from a friend of mine at the WWE who mentions that, hey, would you be interested in doing some work with the network, the WWE network? And I said, sure, you know, depends on what it is and what the pay is and so on and so forth, and I said, well, you know, you're doing your podcast. Maybe we can do something like that and blah, blah, blah. Right about the same time, this is all, what was it, like January, February of that year? Yeah, you first, uh, I was at the Royal Rumble in January when 
you called me and said, you got a minute. And I excused myself and you said, you ain't gonna believe this. And you told me that you had had a conversation and that there would be subsequent conversations, but it's well into March before it ever makes the newsletter. Right. And then, you know, so, so I've been talking to WWE and then I get the phone call. I'm sitting there one night and it's, uh, spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. Um, no, it wasn't road dog. It was Jeff Jarrett and Jeff calls me and says, Hey man, how's everything going? I said, going great. He says, I got a question for you. I said, what's that? I said, would you ever consider, um, coming back to and doing some stuff with us here at impact? He goes, look, uh, everybody that you dealt with before is gone. I said, is Dean Broadhead still there? <laughs> he says, well, he says, Dean's still there, but you know, he's removed from everything and he's just over there trying to, um, uh, you know, see where all the money is and which made me laugh. Um, and I answered Jeff, I said, Jeff, you can't afford me. And he laughed back. He said, you're right. We can't, but could, could we do something? And so I went, uh, and I said, let me think about it a little bit. I've, I've got a couple other things on the table and that I'm considering, but who knows, you know, who, who really knows? Um, just give me some time. And let me think about it. I went back to the folks, WWE, you know, dollar amount. I need some kind of an offer or something. And their offer was, I don't even think that they gave me a, a monetary offer, but, um, it wasn't what I was looking for. And we were doing, we had start, started to do well at that point. And our advertising revenue was up. The live event in Orlando had sold out already. I think we had, I don't know, maybe we had uh, Baltimore already on the table and stuff like that. And we were looking at SummerSlam. So I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't know, man. I got these things laid out. I'd like to do them. And WWE sent me a an offer. And it had quite a few conditions to it. In that I couldn't keep my podcast. I couldn't do a lot of different things. And so Jeff Jarrett called back and says, Hey, you know, what are you thinking? I said, Well, here are the things that I'd like to have. And I gave him everything that I wanted to have uh, included in the deal. And he said, Done. Okay. Then um, here's how much money I'd like. And he says, Well, I can't do that. Um, so he made me an offer, a monetary offer to, to fly me out there and to, to start And the, probably the thing that was most attractive about it was we only need you as a talent. Hmm. All you're going to do is be a talent. You don't have to, uh, write the TVs. You don't have to produce anything. You don't have to do anything, but your part as a talent. And we want the guy that's on 
the podcast. Okay, I, I know that guy. I can do that. So I thought about it. I just said, what the hell? Fuck it. You know, it'll be fun. I had, compl- oh, here was the other fun thing. I had creative control. <laughs> what I had creative control over, I don't know, but I had creative control. There was nothing to have creative control really over, but I had it. So that was it. I, I agreed to do it because they promised to plug the podcast. They promised to plug my merchandise. They promised to plug our live events all the way down the line. And I thought, well, hell, you know, we're doing all right with the podcast. How, how much better could we do with a little bit of television exposure? Right. And that was that was the whole reason behind it was to use that television exposure and plug our stuff and, and get more exposure. How silly is it in hindsight that it all came from the podcast? I mean, it's remarkable. It it really and truly is because by the time first of all, by the time you even convinced me to do the damn podcast. I had, okay, begrudgingly. That shit! 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 God damn it. There is no sick. Bruce, I know the Rona when I hear it. There's a little what? trumpet. I didn't say anything. So you were saying by the time I convinced you to do the podcast begrudgingly. Yeah. I just didn't want to do it at all. And I thought it was a little too inside for me and I didn't want to share things. By the time we'd gotten here, I'd loosen up a little bit and I realized there was no place for me in the world of sports entertainment, and professional wrestling, and that I would have to make my own. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm coming back to, to be on a wrestling show. And that was just bizarre land to me from doing a little podcast that when I agreed to this, yeah, but who's going to want to listen to me? Right. And then people wanted to listen, did listen. Thank you very much. And got a gig. Meltzer wrote in the observer on March 6, 2017, there are a ton of changes going on behind the scenes. A lot of people who work for the company in the past have been contacted and Jeff Jarrett's big marketing idea, something along the lines of let's make TNA great again, which did work in the presidential election, but didn't work out as well for Darren young. The idea is to present the idea of the glory days of TNA. When Jarrett was in charge with the idea that things went off the rails, perhaps not using that term since he was gone, but on television, they're going to try to bury Dixie Carter's regime, whether by name or not, and essentially say the product went to hell. Bruce Pritchard is being brought back for a role where he is to appear at the upcoming tapings as one of those people. And this may be as early as the March 9th show being taped on March 2nd. Pritchard is booked for that show right now. Pritchard is only coming in as a television character and will continue his podcasts. He essentially got the gig because of how strong his podcast numbers were and Jeff Jarrett, hoping his podcast listeners would start watching TNA. So that's the, uh, the write up. I know you rarely co-sign anything Meltzer 
rights, but that sounds about right to me. Sound about right to you? Well, good Lord, man. I mean, how, how much can you get wrong on that? But yes, and the, the one thing that he left out that I also love to say at every moment was that, good Lord, I've got more listeners and you guys have people watching the show. You should be paying me more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not false at the time, especially. So it, we should mention you hadn't been really a regular you know, consumer of TNA programming. We had watched a little bit of the broken Matt Hardy stuff and, and, and thought that was fun. But is it fair to say you weren't exactly paying a ton of attention to the program at that moment? Yeah, I wasn't paying a ton of attention to much of anything at the time other than what we were doing in the past. So there was, yeah, no familiarity, and I just had had become uninterested and moved on. You know, we talk a lot about rumor and innuendo here on the show. And unfortunately, there's a lot of rumor and innuendo out there about CBD. And one of the reasons we work with CBD MD is because we want to get the real truth out there. Plus, I know CBD MD's products, especially their topical pain relief formulas, have helped a lot of people out there, including me and my family. So here's the skinny on CBD and what you can expect from CBD MD. First of all, hemp and products made from it, like those from CBDMD, are federally legal in the United States. All of CBDMD's products are made with CBD extracted from hemp plants, not marijuana. So you don't ever have to worry about getting high or anything else like that. CBDMD's superior formulas never contain detectable amounts of THC, which is the stuff in pot that gets you high. They even provide you with the independent lab reports to prove it. And yeah, there are scams and mislabeled products out there, like those fake products you see on Amazon, but CBDMD does things right. They make all of their products in FDA registered facilities, and they can prove they follow all the federal guidelines for making these supplements. You can't just get that with most of the other CBD companies out there. But above all else, let me tell you, this stuff works. Uh, both myself, my wife, my mom, my dad, we've all been rocking the CBD MD freeze gel. I can't recommend it enough. It's like a perfect combination of pain relief and menthol. It's just, uh, it's as the kids are saying, and listen, I can tell you from my experience, I can tell you about my family's experience, but you won't understand what I'm talking about until you try CBD MD's pain relief topicals for yourself. But now not only can you do that, but you can also get 25% off of your order by using the promo code DUTE at checkout over at cbdmd.com. Folks, they're already some of the best CBD out there and 25% off is an absolutely insane deal. It's just a steal. I've looked around and it's pretty much unheard of in the CBD business. And on top of that, they offer an industry leading 60 day, no hassle guarantee on all of their products and oh yeah, the best US-based customer service around. So one more time, use promo code DOOT, you know, D-O-O-T, during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order of premium CBD products at cbdmd.com. That's cbdmd.com. Use the promo code DOOT and get 25% off your first order of premium CBD. cbdmd.com. The only CBD company on the record recognizing that Brett screwed Brett. There's lots of other moving and shaking going on. And we've covered some of those names in the past. We'll 
we'll uh, table that and just recommend that if you want more info about, you know, some old names at TNA, there's two tremendous TNA shows in our archives. Uh, we should go ahead and get you the write up from the following week of the observer. It says officially the company has dropped the TNA name for impact wrestling. Starting with March 9th, Bruce Pritchard made the announcement during the latest reboot show. So it's kind of interesting that you're out front and center almost as a mouthpiece for the organization. When you first start to have these conversations with Jeff, when does your on air persona start to take shape? I, you know what? It really didn't, um, other than, you know, make impact great again and, and things of that nature. Uh, it gave me the general premise, told me that I would be, didn't use the word figurehead or anything like that, but it was just, you're going to be in charge, uh, type deal. I didn't, you know, here's, here's the other funny thing. When TNA back in the day did a whole focus group on the show, you know, what's over, what's not. One of the things that came back was the name that people did not like the name TNA right. for a variety of reasons. The connotation of tits and ass, the total nonstop action didn't roll off the tongue, all these different reasons. But the main television show was TNA impact. People liked impact. Mm. And when I was there with Dixie and with Eric and everybody, I'd actually pitched, why don't we just change everything to impact instead of TNA? So the fact that they were doing that now I thought was a smart move because it distanced themselves from what was TNA and, you know, maybe get a little of the stink off from that point. So I thought they were doing the right thing in that regard and trying to get away from as much as they possibly could of the old regime. They went back to the 12 sided ring or whatever the fuck it was. And the, the only thing to me that I just kind of went, eh, was you're still doing it in the studio there in universal. So I guess they were going back for the glory of that. I don't know. But to me, it was just going to be the same old thing. If you stayed in the same place with the same stuff. So you're not having any sort of conversations over the phone about what the creative is that sort of waits until you're in person. It, it really did. I, I was taking this about as old school as you possibly could. And that I was like, okay, yeah, man, what do you want me to, to wear? Can I wear my shirts? That was, that, that was my, that was my input. I wanted to wear my, my shirts at BrucePritchard.com so I could sell them. And that was a big part of it. They said, yes, you could do that. I said, I want to plug my show. Okay, great. Whatever else you want me to do, I'm happy to do at that point. So I pretty much waited until I got there and showed up. And Jeff asked me if I wanted to sit in on the production meeting. Since I didn't know what I was doing, I said, sure. Just so I could see what I was doing and listen and try to be ahead of the game. So you fly in to Orlando and somewhere in your first day or so, 
you have an interaction with an old friend who maybe had taken issue with some things you had said on this podcast. Right. You know, we got into Orlando. We were all staying out at some extended stay out by, uh, <coughs> pardon me, the airport. So it was, you know, there weren't a whole lot of places to, to go and do anything, but I had to go back to the front desk to get something. And when I did, everybody was still in the lobby and saying hello to everyone when Conan arrived. And Conan showed up, and everybody was like, hey, Conan, hey, Conan. And Jeff Jarrett's like, look, look, it's Bruce, it's Bruce. And Conan looked at me and, and was just killing me with daggers. And it was all from the, you know, the whole story that we told in the radicals um, about Conan calling up there. And I didn't know uh, who K-Dog was at the time and things like that and uh, misunderstanding. And, and it was a fun story that Conan t had taken exception with. And so I walked over and I put my hand out and I said, Conan, I'm standing here right in front of you, man. I'm sorry for any misunderstanding. And, uh, we had a few words back and forth. Conan shook my hand and basically said, yeah, fuck him. But then the next day when we worked, um, I did my stuff. He did his stuff with LAX and we hugged at the end of the day and everything was good again. So that was, that was a nice ending, you know, to that. It's pretty, uh, Pretty remarkable how things have come full circle here. I, I want to mention part of this new crew that you're going to be working with, uh, the observer would mention Rachel Ellering, Casey Quinn, Garza Jr., Laredo kid, Chris Adonis, who's the former Chris masters, a new suicide, which is going to be Caleb Conley, uh, Kevin Matthews, the tag team of Reno scum just on and on. Uh, including they've, they've reached out to Conan saying, Hey, we want you to do the LAX group. Apparently, uh, Loki wasn't interested. So they say, Hey, just find a new tag team. They find E Y F B O from New York, which is angel Ortiz and Mike drastic. And you take a look three years later, Rachel Ellering had a shot at NXT and was uh, eventually released. Casey Quinn is now with NXT as Ava story. Garza jr. Is now angel Garza on raw. Laredo kid has recently worked some AEW shows. I think Caleb Conley was a part of the whole FTR thing and worked a dark match for AEW, but I don't think he's doing anything else with them. And Chris masters is a free agent. Kevin Matthews is a free agent after, I guess he was arguing with Scott Demore on Twitter. Reno scum recently returned to impact and EYFBO are now, you know, a part of the tag team. Santana and Ortiz, part of the inner circle in AEW. It's remarkable when you look back three years ago and see the amount of talent, young talent that was here at impact that now has moved on and made a splash somewhere else. The observer would say Pritchard will be a featured player on television. And it is a cross promotion for his podcast in the sense he'll push TNA and they'll push his podcast. The idea is his podcast has so many listeners that it will draw more, more viewers to the product, which is just tremendous uh, Vince Russo claimed that Jeff Jarrett emailed him and asked him what his podcast numbers were he said after doing so he hasn't heard back from Jarrett I guess Bruce Pritchard whose numbers are far better got the gig for that reason it's pretty remarkable to think that 
there was at least an idea. What if it was Russo and, uh, ultimately you got the nod. So carry me through like your first day, man, you're, you're there and you told us about bumping into Conan, but anything else, I mean, what's sort of the day in your, your first day back in the wrestling business like, you know, it was kind of getting acquainted with old friends and it had been several years since I'd been there. It just was um, a time to kind of say hello and, and get back with everybody. Dutch Mantel was there. Got to see Dutch and, and talk with Dutch, which is always an awful lot of fun, just to hear his views on the world and the wrestling business in general. So got to bullshit a little while with Dutch and uh, Jeremy Borash, who was, was still there. And Jeremy seemed to have a lot more responsibility and doing a lot more at uh, this time. So it was just an opportunity to sit and, and talk and see what the hell's been going on for all this time that I've been gone. And by that point, it was three years since I'd seen them. Yeah, I think that's about right. And so just kind of catching up and, and trying to figure out what are we going to do? And is I sit here and think about it. I, I know that uh, they had other people involved or that they wanted involved in that first show that didn't make it for whatever reason. Um, but I do remember Jeff asking me, you know, hey, who out there do you think that we should go after? That was just early on. I, I said, uh, Del Rio, Alberto Del Rio. I said, I, I look at this guy and he's got the look and I said, I don't know him. Who was it but, that was supposed uh, to come in that didn't at first? Was it Matt Hardy or was it Bo Bully Ray or? Bully Ray. Okay. Yeah. Bully Ray, I guess, was the person that they were looking for to, to come in and be that, be the guy that they eventually brought Del Rio in for. And allegedly he didn't like the creative or, or something of that nature, right? Bully Ray? Right. Allegedly, I never spoke to him about it, so I really don't have any idea, but I think it had gone down to the wire and had gone back and forth, you know, yes, no, yes, no. But um, I wasn't involved in that, thank God. And at the last minute, he, he decided not to come. So they were dealing literally the night before in trying to get Del Rio in there, and they did. And so that was a big, you know, big, big surprise that somebody took a picture of him in the ring during the day. We were going live that night. They took a picture of Del Rio in the ring as the big surprise and oh posted it all over the place. Hey, got a question for you. Did you know that refinancing your credit card balances can lower your interest rate and save you money? And you don't need to be some sort of financial expert to do it. You can get a fixed rate credit card consolidation loan from lightstream.com and you can save thousands in interest rates start at just 5.95% with auto pay and excellent credit. By the way, this is lower than the average credit card interest rate because you know, that's more than 19% APR. You can even get a loan from 5,000 to a hundred thousand dollars with absolutely no fees over at lightstream.com. Of course, the application is 100% online at lightstream.com, and you can even get your money in the bank as soon as the day you apply. 
Lightstream.com believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. And that's exactly what they deliver. Listen, I've tried to say the website a bunch today because I get a lot of questions. Hey, what was the name of that company? Lightstream.com, man. Everybody knows how easy it is to get a loan there. Because if you recall, this is the company I've told you about that years ago, I got the best car deal I ever had. Now, of course, today we're talking about credit card debt, but I'm just telling you, I can vouch for this company personally. I had a great experience with them. It was the easiest process. It was the best rate. I got to shop like a cash buyer, just like that. And right now my listeners can apply for a special interest rate discount and save even more. So I'm excited to tell you about that. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. Let me spell that for you. It's L I G H T S T R E A M dot com slash wrestle. That's lightstream.com slash wrestle. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a half a percent auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. <sighs> well, you make the suggestion for Del Rio. There's a couple other guys who are already there. Uh, Moose had just been announced as being a big signing. Cody also coming in. And, um, this is a weird time because there's like, and I need you to sort of speak on this and clear it up, but just to sort of refresh everybody's memory, we're fresh on the heels of Billy Corgan was working with Dixie Carter and maybe he was buying it. Maybe he wasn't it. And, and it was, uh, maybe there's going to be a bankruptcy. There's a whole lot of mess out there about what's going to happen with this company. Ultimately Anthem lands it, uh, Jarrett apparently had a relationship there. Now Jarrett's back in power, but while Jared was on the outside, he was trying to work up his own new thing, GFW global force wrestling. So now this feels like there's a lot going on here. Is it TNA? Is it impact? Is it global force? What can you tell us about GFW and what you believe to be the plan at the time? Well, from my vantage point, I didn't really know what GFW was other than that was the group that Jeff had put together to do some baseball stadium shows and things like that. I believe he actually recorded a television show in Vegas or somewhere around there at some point. But GFW wasn't something that, at least in the beginning, that we were looking at okay, this is going to be a, a big part of it. Um, but I do think that that was Jeff's goal was to lose impact, lose all ties to TNA and go with GFW. And that would be the governing body. And that would be, that would be what we were selling. We were going to sell the GFW uh, impact and what have you, instead of anything TNA or, or anything related to the past. They wanted to move forward. The guys at Anthem, uh, that was Jeff Nordholm. Ed. I believe that's his name. Ed Nordholm. Ed Nordholm. Thank you. It should be Jeff, though, shouldn't it? should be Jeff. I agree. Yeah. Okay, let's go with that. No, Ed Nordholm um, came down a few times, and uh, Ed's a real nice guy, but uh, I'm not sure, at least at the time, he wasn't really very familiar with the wrestling business and he and Jeff were flying all over the world, going to Mexico and 
the UK and different places looking for talent. And it was just, uh, it was just a lot of fresh faces. It is a lot of fresh faces. The uh, write up in the observer about your segment, let's say Pritchard came out with his speech. Pritchard talked about how just a few years ago impact had so much hope, but it never happened. He said the TNA name is dead and the company will be known only as impact wrestling from this point forward. He said the company has a great hybrid wrestler as world champion and Lashley and that nobody could beat Lashley. And this was where Alberto came out and issued a challenge. Uh, Ethan Carter, the third also came out and said, there's no way Alberto deserved a title shot since he had never wrestled for the promotion. And he wanted Lashley Lashley blew him off saying he'd beaten him so many times. He didn't deserve a shot. So he would be facing Alberto. This is not the only title that's, uh, being discussed. Cody's going to come out, throw down his GFW, uh, next gen championship and says, he's not going to leave. He's trying to challenge moose this i don't know man this is a little weird um the idea that we've got a gfw championship and then ultimately they're going to have a match for what they're calling the grand championship moose and cody and cody's going to accidentally super kick one of the judges they bring you out to be a judge i don't know this feels like there's just a lot going on is that fair to say that would be an understatement. Uh, you know, they were trying to reestablish and catch you up on everything right off the bat. Right. So there were major changes that were taking place, and they, they wanted you to forget the 10-year history, or God, more than that, a history of TNA and make you think this is all brand new and this is this is where we're going instead of gradually letting it kind of take place. However, they felt that let's get it out there and, and let's start now. And the more things change, the more people are going to want to tune in and see what's next. Talk to me about, you know, you get your first set of tapings under your belt. You're almost in this GM type role. What's the experience like? I mean, uh, you know, I know that you're, even though on paper and in theory, you're only there to be an on-screen character, but you do wind up sitting in on some booking meetings, I'm sure. And there's a lot of other guys who might be agents there. Like, I don't know, maybe a Borash or a Shane Helms, or maybe an abyss. Talk me through, I think maybe even Dutch Mantel was there. Talk me through what that looked like at the time. Well, I think that there were, I know there still was some talent that kind of looked to me as being actually the real GM. Um, but the reason, my reasoning for going into the production meetings was so I could see what the hell I was going to do the next day. Mm. And I could get that shit in my head. And I'd go to the production meetings and, and just my ears would perk up when they got to my segment and I could ask questions there. And then I didn't have to really deal with anybody for the rest of the day until it was time to do my stuff. And the beauty of it was once the production meeting was gone and everyone would leave, that was my dressing room. So I left all my stuff in there. I would take out the computer and I'd do a little bit of work and, um, just hang, just kind of hang out. It wasn't like 
catering was a good place to hang out because food wasn't that good. But uh, I still had my connections at Universal Studios, so I could sneak over to the car- commissary and get good food. And I could still go and ride a couple rides during the day. <laughs> so, shit, man. My life was good. And, and I tried to, because with the new regime, Dutch was, you know, a guy in charge, Jeff and all those. With the new regime, I didn't want to be seen as trying to, to ruffle any of those feathers or, or anything like that. So I stayed away from it because guys would come up to me and say, hey, what am I doing? What would you suggest? And I didn't know exactly what those guys wanted, so I stayed away. I stayed away from the young guys. I said, hey, go talk to Dutch. Dutch knows exactly what you're doing in this segment. He knows where you want to go or go talk to Jeff or go talk to Al Snow or Pat Kenny. And I did my, did my thing. And then we'd go and do our pre-tapes, knock them out and do my live stuff. And they'd have a little shuttle van there for me to take me back to the hotel. So I was fucked. Well, what's the, what's the phrase? I shitting in tall cotton, something like that. Shitting in high cotton. There you go. High cotton, tall cotton, high cotton. Same thing. We got it. Uh, high cotton would, would, that gives a connotation. They were smoking marijuana or something. So I went with tall. I got to tell you, it is pretty interesting that the creative sort of is what it is. They're making Josh Matthews a heel. He's going to be trying to, uh, have a feud with, with Jeremy Borash. Wait, wait, wait. Let me make something very clear. They weren't making Josh a heel. Okay. He was a natural heel. Okay. Um, and he can't help himself, but on commentary, and I'm sure this is all the plan, but you know, he's rebelling against, you know, Karen and Jeff Jarrett and. You know, I mean, Jeff's not even appearing on screen at this point, but they are making it clear that Karen is married to Jeff and he's going to make fun of the Jarrett's bringing in guys like Bruce Pritchard and Dutch Mantell. And he basically says the only reason the fans are even here at TNA is because they're too cheap to buy tickets to see NXT. I, I don't, I mean, I guess we're, we're making an angle out of it's maybe an invasion. I don't know, but the idea that we're shitting our, our announcer is shitting on our fans saying, oh, they're, they're only here cause they're too cheap to buy tickets to the good show. W- what the fuck? Well, I mean, we were going with reality television. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just like, wait a minute. This is the plan. What is this now? Yeah, I think that the idea was to look at what they had done in the past and, yeah, kind of go poo-poo all over it and and say, but what we're doing now is good. And and that was kind of the idea about it. Don't ignore what, you know, don't ignore what's out there. Just uh, embrace it and, and talk about it. Some old names are coming back. Of course, ODB is here. Uh, James storm is going to come back doing the old cowboy James storm gimmick with his old music. That's of note because he had made, uh, well, he spent a cup of coffee in NXT this, uh, first set of tapings. I think they also tape a knockouts pay-per-view 
what did you think of the knockouts pay-per-view well thank god i i wasn't a part of it um so i gotta leave <laughs> but no there there were they had some good talent there and yeah. anytime that that you got gail kim that they brought back at one point and brought Gail in to actually help coordinate the women's division there, the knockout division. I thought that was a good plus. I thought that was a really big plus because Gail is a hell of a performer and she's one of those rare performers that not only performs well, but she can tell you how to do it. She can tell you what to do and what not to do. So I thought that was a smart move and yeah, I'm not kidding when I say I, I really didn't see it. I didn't stick around for it because it was I was I was that stereotypical old timer. I you, oh my god, I was Ric Flair. Oh my okay, god. I wasn't Ric Flair, but I did just come in do my shit and got the hell out and didn't care about what anybody else was doing. Well, one of the things that uh Nobody cared about at the time. <laughs> Creative decides to have a feud with Jeremy Borash and Josh Matthews. And you actually come out and say that, Hey, we're going to have to settle this next week with a face to face. And, uh, you actually have a little bit of physicality in that segment. What do you remember about that? Who do I have physicality with? Well, you called me afterwards and told me that you'd taken a bump. Was that EC Thrizzle when he threw me on the ground? That bastard. <laughs> yeah, you went from And it hurt. I went... hadn't taken dude. Okay, you gotta understand at this point, I hadn't taken a bump in ten years at right. least. More. At least. More. More probably. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you just you fall back into it, but uh, EC3 was supposed to basically just kind of knock me down and he, he threw my ass and it like hurt. I was sore. I hadn't taken a bump in forever. And I, I had to call my mommy. I was going to tell on him, but no. not only that, you know, this is a different deal for you. You know, I mean, these are marathon tapings where we're going back to back to back and it's a long day. You got the production stuff before you're up all, late the night before with all those guys in the production meetings. I mean, and prior to this, I mean, you're floating around your pool, you know, this is a, this is a, a different deal for you to be walking around on concrete and dress shoes all day. Is it not? Yeah, that, that was drizzling shit suit. Yes. Well, having to be dressed. Sure. And wear a sport coat and things like that. And, and that was challenging in and of itself because you folks you got to understand at this point in my life i was a short and flip-flop wearing dude and wasn't really fond of a shirt and anything else on my body so i just would hang out at the pool i would go inside do the podcast kind of like i am right now in shorts and flip-flops and nothing else right you to visualize that I have headsets on talking into my microphone, but other than that, I just got a pair of boxers and some flip flops on. So it makes it, it brings me back. See, it brings me back. And, but now then I've got to go and I've got to put clothes on and I've got to walk around 
I've got to perform and then I got to go back and cool down and sit down and I got to go walk around again and do shit. And then this son of a bitch throws me on the ground. And I just, yeah, I hurt for a few days off of a bump. Think about that. Off of a one, (laughs) one singular, singular bump. That wasn't, it was like, yeah, it wasn't even a spectacular bump. Looked more like I just fell down, which basically I did. So, yeah. Let's, uh. But, but Josh, look, hey. Really? JB and Josh probably had the hottest angle on the show. I got to tell you, when it comes to producing these podcasts every week, since Bruce has gone back to WWE, he has been a major pain in my ass. I know you can identify with that, but unfortunately I probably identify more with general aches and pains. I'm feeling it this year. Just turned 39 a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, I found myself a little more achy than normal in the morning, but I've been reading a lot about the relief that CBD offers for extreme aches and pains. But what if there was something better than CBD? Well, I found it. It's called Leafa, and it's a brand new relief cream that works on contact, and you don't need a prescription for it. Leafa contains over 3,000 milligrams of CBD and beta caryophylline. Plus, it has menthol. For those that don't know, beta caryophylline is another phytocompound like CBD, but instead of just reacting to receptors in the body, beta caryophylline binds to them, making it more powerful than just CBD alone. Leafa is the only formula on the market that contains these ingredients and they combine for a more fast acting targeted relief on contact. By the way, it feels really great. With social distancing and sheltering in place, I've been trying to keep a little more active at home, but I'm not really that motivated because I'm tired and achy. I get really stiff and sore and I need some relief. I applied the Leafa to my joints, especially my left knee, and man, it felt really great. It absorbed fast and left no greasy residue. Leafa made my left knee feel so much better on contact. It smells great too. It's not like a bad medicine smell, but don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself. Experience Leafa's relief. It's a free $60 value during Leafa's nationwide free trial. Now, all you've got to do is pay the shipping. To get your free Leafa, just go to getleafacomfort.com. That's getleafacomfort.com for your free trial. That's G-E-T-L-E-F-A-C-O-M-F-O-R-T.com. That's getleafacomfort.com. Talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, and I know you weren't, you weren't involved in all of it, but there was apparently, cause it, it got pretty far along. I mean, they were going to court and, and all kinds of stuff. Matt Hardy and impact slash Anthem over the whole broken stuff. I mean, allegedly he was supposed to be a big part of this first set of tapings. Ultimately that doesn't work out. We have to move on and move forward, but yet there's this still back and forth legal wrangling. Do you have any insight on any of that at all? You know, I don't on, on that, but I will say this about that. I heard a lot of things about, um, how difficult that Anthem and impact and those guys were to deal with when 
in reality, from my vantage point, and I can only speak from my vantage point, was they asked me to come in. I told them what I wanted. They told me what they could do. They sent me a contract, the contract, and, and here was my other caveat. I said, don't send me a 20-page contract with all this other bullshit for all being a wrestler, being anything else. I want an agreement. You sign it, I sign it. We agree on the money. We agree on what you're looking for me out of TV, and that's it. Uh, give each other 30 days, and we're good. What do I get? I get like a 28-page contract. I look at it. I print it out. I remember hitting print, and when the thing kept going after about like four or five pages, I called Jeff. I said, Jeff, I asked for something simple. I want an agreement. Here's what the agreement says. I'll type it up for you. But I'm, and in the background, the printer's still printing shit out. And I said, I'm sending this fucking thing. I'm not even going to read it. I sure as hell am not going to sign it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I'm not going to go back and forth with who the legal representation is there. This is a simple deal. I don't want to work. Not going to do that. Um, this is an appearance deal. So let's just do a simple appearance agreement. I bet you within about 30, 40 minutes, I had that agreement. Exactly as I had outlined for them. And they sent it to me very quickly and made like one or two changes to it. I signed it. They signed it. We were in business. So when I heard about the uh, contract stuff with the Hardys, I thought, man, you know, here's talent that they really want to have on their show and that they're really going after. I think that they were would have been fighting for them just as hard as they were fighting for me, and I was easy. And I don't know that when you say, okay, you guys can have Bruce Pritchard, you can have the Hardys. I think every single person uh, and their unborn kids would choose the Hardys. So t- when I heard that, I kind of had to take that one with a grain of salt because I was living it, and I know how ready to do business they were with me. Um, it got things done in a pretty quick and efficient manner. It's uh it's a weird time in the wrestling business. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe this was, you know, realistically just three years ago because so much has changed. Um, let's move on from, from the whole Hardy thing. We know that's, that's just going to be a huge mess. How great was it to work with Dutch Mantel again? Dutch was relatively fresh off WWE TV doing the whole, we, the people thing with Jack Swagger, but once upon a time had a reputation for being one of the great bookers, certainly had great success in Puerto Rico. What was your time like here with Dutch? I, it was great, you know, cause I always enjoyed Dutch had an awful lot to do with the early training of the undertaker. When I say training the, the psychology of the undertaker and Dutch helped 
Mark Calloway out a, a great deal early on. And I always knew, I'd always known Dutch since forever. Since when Dutch came through in San Antonio and Dallas into Houston and what have you. Uh, knew of Dutch and had always talked to him. I worked with Dutch in WWE for many years. So it was always fun to just kind of get back together with Dutch and hang out and talk wrestling, if you will. And he was never, never one to be short on his viewpoint and his words. And we would always just talk about the state of the business and the state of where we were at the time. So it, that was a lot of fun. Dutch was confined to a, uh, what a wheelchair. It was like one of those scooters, mm. you know, like you see on TV. Yeah. Like a, like a hover around gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. Like a hover around. And Dutch had one of those, and one of the damnedest things, man. Uh, Dutch had gone out, put his bag in the uh, in the back of the car, and had gotten off of his little hover scooter and was leaning on the back of the car because he needed he needed to hold on to something for support. And Bob Ryder, who was driving the car thought that, okay, hey, Dutch is all in, good to go, and took off. And Dutch just fell like, timber! <laughs> Splat. And then we had to go clean Dutch up from the from the driveway there in front of the old extended stay. That salty old bastard got right up, and he was ready to rock and roll for the rest of the day. Just a little slower, but it was all right. Meltzer would Anybody write. knows Dutch. Anybody knows Dutch. Yeah, a little slower is a lot fucking slower for most people. TNA put out a video of a supposed board meeting where Bruce Pritchard headed it and told Alberto he had to relinquish the title based on using the belt to win it and that they were giving the title back to Lashley. At first, Alberto thought it was a joke and Pritchard asked him, what would your father do? He got mad at that. He said he'd give it up if Lashley would give him a rematch, but Dutch Mantell said they'd like to agree that they don't have the power to order Lashley to do that. And Alberto is going to have to ask Lashley for a rematch. Well, that made no sense. An interesting little segment here, but what really stuck out is this wasn't always acknowledged in WWE, but Alberto Del Rio is a legacy performer. And, uh, has a fairly famous father. If you're in the Lucha Libre. See those caras, those caras is also the brother to Mir Mascaras y El Cicadelico. And no Mir Mascaras con Cicadelico or hey, those caras hey. ever had El Lancho con Pancho Villa. Stop all that nonsense. L let me ask though, when you first, uh, are hanging around with Del Rio now that the podcast has gotten some momentum. How many times did you try to do your Mil Mascaris no yob shit to him? Oh, he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> thought it was fucking hilarious. Because he got it. It was like, oh, hey, man, you know, I said, no, Uncle Aaron's probably not too happy about this, but, uh, you're going to love this. I think I wore one on air one time. Yeah, you did. And showed him and he was, he laughed and said, he goes, what the fuck is that? I said, ah, you know, I told the story about Aaron and no, yeah, no, yeah. 
of a meagle. Like, yeah. He goes, he goes, yeah, he only understood English when he was going over us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Mouser would write Bruce Pritchard and Dutch Mantell are both great talkers, but I don't see what the point of their segment was. They really put over his podcast strong. An interesting note is the reason Pritchard was called was because his podcast was doing great numbers. And the idea is his podcast listeners would now watch TNA and with the rating being exactly what it was and not a good number that didn't happen in the first week. Now there was an increase of YouTube watching, uh, but there's almost no money in that for what anyone says about TV viewership falling across the board, which it is for most things as TV viewership falls, all sports including wrestling are primarily dependent on TV for their future, or at least for their revenue. So getting a YouTube view up, whether it is a valid measure of popularity, it's like trending on Twitter. It may be a value to help ratings, but not something you can make money on your own. Were you explicitly told, I mean, certainly we understand, you know, the, the reach of the podcast was bigger than what the show was, but. Did you feel any pressure when that rating comes in and it's not exactly what they may have hoped because they thought, well, we'll just direct people to, but they never told you specifically to say that. So we didn't really say that, but the internet blew up when you went back. It just feels like, uh, something that may have been discussed at some point. What do you remember about that? Not really. I I know that they felt that by us talking about it on the podcast that we were exposing it to a much larger fan base than what they had. And our fan base was just one of, they, they wanted to listen to our stuff and, and stay there and had kind of lost interest and been disillusioned with not just TNA and impact, but everything else. Um, so I even laughed about, uh, I don't know how much we're going to help, the show. Um, I know for advertisers, we do well, but it just, it was different. And who knows, who knows if it had any impact at all. I couldn't tell you. March 27th in the observer Meltzer would say not a lot to say about the second week of impact under the new regime. It was an easy to watch show. The crowd was hot all the way through, which it hasn't been the case in a long time. Bruce Pritchard as an authority figure is fine. The good thing is he's not doing the tired heel routine and can talk, but the one thing you don't want to be seen as is low rent regional wrestling and his wardrobe on television was screaming that loudly through the TV. Although I suppose people may bring up Daniel Bryan on SmackDown, but WWE doesn't have a stigma to overcome. Of course, he's mocking your mom jeans and your, uh, Bruce t-shirts, but I mean, that's sort of your uniform at the time. Damn right it was. And it was cool. Again, something he wouldn't know about. I don't think those mom jeans were ever cool. They were cool. Still are. Still got them. Still wear them. Yep. Uh-huh. I know you're not exactly, again, you're there for the creative meetings, but it's not like you're uh, leading the meetings. The GFW thing being all over TV with the GFW tag titles and things like that. Is this a little overkill? I mean, it seems at the time it was confusing and in hindsight, it seems even more confusing. 
Yeah, I, I just think that it was a, it was a means to an end. It was trying to get to that point of of making the making the change and, and making the switch over to be completely fresh and to get away from any ties of impact impact or TNA. So that was that was the reason to do it. That was the whole. I think game plan initially was let's get to being GFW. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, these, uh, may tapings that happen in India. But before we get there, we do need to address something that was reported on April 23rd. There was an argument backstage Meltzer right? It started with Karen Jarrett and Bob Ryder, then escalated to Jeff Jarrett and Bob Ryder. The first argument was over Ryder for getting to book a hotel room. Jeff and Ryder's argument was apparently very heated. And it appeared at the time that Jeff was going to fire him. Jeff told him to leave the tapings, which he did in the middle of the show. But after the tapings were over, both were back in the office in Nashville, working like nothing had happened. This is the first time Bob Ryder's name has been in the news in a long, long time. I think a lot of people remember him from some online stuff he did with onewrestling.com and things like that. And then famously, he helped a little bit with WCW and the early days of impact. But we hadn't heard about his name in a long, long time. What can you tell us about this blow up with, with Jeff Jarrett and Bob Ryder here? Well, all I can tell you is hearsay because thank God I wasn't in a position where I had to be involved in any of that and tried to stay away from any drama as much as possible. And I enjoyed working with Karen and Jeff. So we had, we had a lot of fun when we were there. So the blow up, yeah, everybody heard about it. I don't know how many people actually saw whatever it was that that the blow up was, but it was something about a driver or someone that had come in and needed a hotel room. And Bob was asked to book the hotel room for him. And Bob hadn't done it yet, but I think Bob was in the middle the middle of a TV taping and was at the gorilla position doing whatever it is he did there. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It just means I don't know what he did there. Right. Um, so yeah, things apparently got heated and Bob was asked to leave. But then as you say, I think, you know, that was saying, Oh my God, there was this big blow up. Uh, uh, and there was, e- there was even a report of either Bob hitting Karen or Karen hitting Bob in the parking lot at some point uh, in this whole skirmish. Now, no one actually saw it, but um, that's what it was, man. It was just so funny in, in that regard that then come the next day at work, everybody's at the office, business as usual. So... Not being in the office, not not going there, not knowing what the hell uh, the dynamics were in that office anymore. It's like, oh, okay, maybe the Gaga and the the rumors and all that stuff had been a little blown out of proportion. But I don't know because I didn't I didn't get a witness any of it. And I saw Jeff that night. I saw Jeff that night before I left. And and said goodnight, and he was in a great mood, and everything was fine. We should mention 
guys raising their voices and getting mad at each other and the whole deal and then being fine the next day. That's just man shit. Is it not like we got fucking bullshit, Conrad? Shut up. All right, cool. So Karen Jarrett's out on TV and she's calling herself the queen of the mountain. She announces that she's the co-founder of GFW and that GFW and impact wrestling have merged fans politely applauded kind of like they thought they should have. Karen is usually very good on interviews, but she was very shaky here. That's according to the wrestling observer. What do you think about Karen Jarrett being a central figure on TV and calling herself queen of the mountain? We haven't seen her on TV in a long time now, but they were trying something here. What'd you think? They were. And I always thought that Karen was extremely entertaining on television and Karen had a, um, a way about her. Karen could get heat. Yep. Karen could get heat backstage. Karen could get heat in front of the cameras by God. And she was one of those talent that was always coming to you and, and saying, what can I do better? What, how can I, how can I make this better? And I thought that she was probably one of the best heels and most underutilized heels that they had there. Just because she she was natural. She Karen was just a natural in that regard. She was a natural on air talent, and I think what would get her flustered was when you would try to get her to recite and remember a bunch of things that she didn't really feel. But from a talent standpoint, uh, thought she was tremendous. Let's talk about um, since we're talking about interpersonal relationships, Jeff and Karen, let's talk about Alberto and Paige. Of course, Alberto is going to be figured in, in the main event world champ, uh, top dog here in impact at the time he's dating Paige, who's still under contract from WWE. And she even attended a taping. I think you were there for this <laughs> and she's in the crowd wearing a mask. What do you remember about this? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that that might've happened. I, I know I met Paige for the first time when she came with Alberto. And I also have to say this, cause I, I know what's coming. Um, I'd heard these crazy stories about, uh, Del Rio and just what a madman he was. Look, I wasn't there for a long time. My dealings with him were in the ring. Um, and I didn't go out and hang out and have drinks with them and have dinner and things like that. But I would hang out with him and BS with him in the back. Um, hung out in his trailer a lot in India for whatever reason. It was the coldest trailer there, so it had air conditioning. But he, for me, from my point of view, and is another talent and only having to deal with him at work. Del Rio was a pro, right? He was, uh, man, he was where he needed to be when he needed to be there and was good. So again, the, the stuff that allegedly happened outside and all that crap, I can't tell you about cause I never saw it. And I even commented on that a couple of times to people saying where, you know, I always heard he was like just this loose cannon wild man. Oh yeah. You ought to see him over here. I never saw it. I never saw it. So he was always professional to me 
and never had a crossword with him and had some good talks with him about shit, but he was easy to work with. Speaking of uh, professional and easy to work with, they bring back Magnus, who we now know is uh, Nick Aldis, the NWA world champion over on the power program on YouTube. He was a, a TNA staple for a long, long time. His wife is, is still under WWE contract, but it doesn't feel like for whatever reason, uh, he really got much of a shake with WWE. Why do you think that is? I mean, obviously he's, you know, carved his own path here and doing very well as the NWA world champion. But I think a lot of people look at that guy and say he could be on WWE. What, what's, what's, uh, missing for him in the relationship with WWE. I don't know what is missing with the relationship with him and WWE. I can tell you what is missing in the relationship with him and just about everybody else is I think that, um, it, and no matter what, what you want to say, he's a, got a great look. Yeah. He can work. Mm -hmm. Then there's just something it that he's missing and that, doesn't have a connection to take him to the, to the next level. Um, there's times, unfortunately, where I feel that he was playing a part instead of being the part. He, he wasn't being Magnus. He was just playing Magnus and what he thought Magnus should be. And, and there wasn't a lot of, um, it wasn't genuine. Probably the biggest critique I can, I can give there. You've said this uh, a lot through the years that so-and-so, well, he was just playing wrestler. Tell me, I mean, can you go a little deeper on, on, on how to differentiate the two when, when a guy is that, and when he's playing that, I mean, I understand what the words mean in, in, in general, but can you give us examples? Yeah, Steve Austin was Steve Austin. Steve Austin drank beer. Steve Austin was a loud mouth and uh, pretty much a redneck. He turned the volume up, but you didn't have to dig for that character. Um, part, part of what you were saying talk, there cut out. You've got a little tricky internet today, but we're going to power through. Give me the Steve talk. Austin example again. No, the the Steve Austin is a loudmouth redneck, um, beer drinking Hellraiser. That's who he is. The volume's turned up, yes, but there's not a departure from the human being in the character. Playing wrestler, I think, is you know I'll use John Layfield as an example for two different things because John was playing wrestler when he was Justin Hawk, whatever the hell he was. And then later on is the Blackjacks. He was playing a Blackjack. John became, he came into his own in the APA because he got to play himself. And then it later on evolved into JBL. And again, that's just who he is. Volume turned up. So he went through both. He went through playing wrestler to becoming a character that was, was true to him. And Magnus was playing Magnus. Nick Aldis, you know, I don't know who he is. He's a nice guy, a little insecure and, and, uh, 
came over from whatever British gladiators to become Magnus because Dixie liked his look. But who's Magnus? And, and I don't know that he ever just embraced being, actually being whoever that character was. Have you seen, I could be Brother Love. Have you seen any of his work as Nick Aldis as the end of I the have. champ? Yeah. He's trying to be what he thinks the NWA champion should be. I see. Let's, uh, let's Harley race, just Harley race. Right. He didn't have to put on airs. Dusty Rhodes was dusty Rhodes. He didn't have to put on airs. Ric Flair is Ric Flair. You going to tell me there's ever a minute of the day that you don't believe that Ric Flair is Ric Flair. Oh, he believes it. That's right. Maybe too much. Savewithconrad.com makes saving money fast and easy, but don't take my word for it. Last Carl right there in Michigan. He writes, I want to say big thank you to Derek Jones, who was super responsive and informative. Not only did we save more than a hundred thousand dollars on our mortgage by removing several years off of it. He also saved us a few months of payments In follow up Conrad and Steve were super helpful when I had additional questions. You can't go wrong here with save with Conrad definitely worth a call to understand what your savings could be. Carl gave us a five-star review. And as you heard, save more than a hundred thousand dollars. How much can you save? Find out right now for free at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number six, five, zero, eight, four equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. If we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. We're licensed in more than 40 states and even credit scores in the five hundreds will qualify. So what are you waiting for? Go to savewithconrad.com right now. <laughs> well, that's debatable. Let, let's talk about that for a minute though. I was ready to move on. That's she doubled down. I do want to circle back. I mean, somebody brings in the character Magnus and says, Hey, you're going to be Magnus. He has to try to figure out what they want. Right. I mean, it's not like he can just go be himself. Well, I think whoever the hell came up with that gimmick should have figured out what the hell they wanted and and known instead of just be Magnus. Right. Yeah. It just so feels I don't like know that, that ever happened either. Yeah. And it, it may not have, and, and that may explain why, you know, he's out here doing his best to, to give what his quote unquote bosses, you know, the people who hired him, the people who are paying him, Hey, if this is what you want, I'll try to give you that. But, uh, I don't know. It feels a little chicken in the egg when we compare old school examples. And we're talking about guys from the seventies and eighties. When realistically the way wrestling is produced has changed so much now that that might be a little easier than it sounds. I mean, a little harder than it sounds. Yes and no. And again, you have to find the character you've got to believe it. You've got to live it and become that it's very similar to Jim Carrey being Andy Kaufman while he was filming that movie. And you feel that if you can get lost in a guy in a movie and believe that that's actually them in a biopic, then they've done their job. They believe they believe Jim Carrey became Andy Kaufman in that movie. And you could, he stopped being Jim Carrey. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the, the segment that we mentioned earlier, where you're going to be attacked by EC three, you're going to order a three way. 
you're going to cut a promo on EC3. And uh, the idea is, as you, as you may recall, EC3, he is some supposed to be somehow related to Dixie Carter in storyline from the old regime. And you're going to tell EC3, he needs to find his balls and then he beats you down. And that's all to set up hiring Tyrus as his bodyguard. Of course, Tyrus had a run with WWE and now has gone on to have a, a pretty regular segment with Fox news and he's doing his own thing. Talk to me about how Tyrus was paired with you and, and, and what you liked working with him or whatever you remember about working with Tyrus here. Well, shit, Tyrus had been under contract and he had been working there, but they weren't doing anything with him. So in the new regime, I'm not sure that they really had a place or a solidified storyline for Tyrus. And shit, big bastard, uh, he can talk, he can work. I always enjoyed, frankly, part of my day <laughs> would be sitting on a golf cart, just BSing with Tyrus. Sit there and talk about Fox and talk about uh, his personal life and just different things because he was fun to talk to. And the next thing you know, they're going, hey, man, we'll make him your bodyguard. I said, great. I like that because I like him. So there was a genuine fondness from my point of view that uh, here was a guy who was actually really a bodyguard in real life and playing one on TV, playing one for me. So it, it worked and he did a good job of it. Since we're talking about it in August of that year, so we're fast forwarding a little bit. Tyrus would go on social media and explain that he was taking a knee against impact wrestling. And this is on the heels of the whole Colin Kaepernick thing, but he was taking a knee because he felt like a second class citizen at the, uh, GFW slash impact tapings. what do you think of that? I, you know, you know, me, I don't read a lot. I into that shit. Um, did you assume so, when you saw it on social, you just assume, oh, they're working an angle. Basically. Yes. Yeah. And because he was always cool with me. Right. And never had any issues. Never, never had any reason to second guess or anything else. So I think he missed a taping and then he made the next taping or something like that. Or, Said that, made the taping, and then he stopped coming shortly thereafter as well. But uh, for me, shit, I, th I thought the guy was, I thought he was wonderful. Let's talk about this grand championship. We alluded to this earlier, and we mentioned that there were judges. What do you think of this concept that whenever the grand championship is defended, there's going to be judges at ringside? You did this a few times once. It was you Dutch and Scott Demore. I don't know. It feels kind of weird, but kind of interesting, different. what do you think? Jeff, you know, I love you, man. But I thought it was stupid as fucking shit ever. <laughs> I, look, I just, they were trying things to do different. It, it just, it sucked. It made no sense. And 
was hard to follow. So, you know, especially when the fucking guys in the ring aren't doing, uh, aren't doing their part. And like, there, there was one, God, I don't remember if we were live, live or what, but there was one I said, you know what? Fuck it, I'm giving it to the other guy. That was fucking horrible. If he thinks that's getting over, <laughs> he thinks that's what he was supposed to do to get our. Yeah, it was. Uh... I feel like Jeff has a good sense of humor about it, though. Like, and again, I wasn't there, and I don't know him like you do, but if you're out there and a segment is a real stinker and it was one that was his idea or he wrote, it feels like when he comes through the curtain, he would just say, Boy, that fucking sucked, didn't it? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. Yeah, I mean, you've shit. got to know when you're out there whether they're buying this or not. And I've had I've had more than eighteen. Um, or you just come back and go, that's fucking rotten. Uh, the judging thing to me was rotten. Uh, let's talk about the decision to uh, do business with uh, an NFL player, D'Angelo Williams. He decides he's going to try his hand at, at pro wrestling with you guys. Did you know who D'Angelo Williams was? Uh, I, I know I took you to an Alabama football game once and you kept yelling home run. What, what, what do you remember about D'Angelo and, and the involvement with impact? Okay. First of all, I know all about your Alabama thing. You're supposed to yell go. Yes, I know you got it. Um, yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea who he was. Was he somebody special? What do you remember? If anything about the world of sports tapings over in ITV, this is a huge deal. Uh, of course we're talking about across the pond. Allegedly there's going to be, uh, some stuff they're going to be doing with impact. Apparently that deal starts to go off the rails a little bit. But in the interest of trying to grow the brand internationally, one that does stick, you guys do a series of tapings over in India. And I couldn't believe when I got the call from you and you explained, I have to go to India. What can you tell us about that trip? Believe it or not, I kind of wanted to go to India because I'd never been. So I'm thinking, yeah, you know, check this one off the bucket list. How far of a, a flight is that? I mean, that feels like that's going to be a haul and a half, dude. Um, let me think. So we flew to all total, maybe 18, 20 hours. Oh, that's brutal, dude. That would be the understatement. And for me, so here was the kicker. Here was the thing. I said I would go, but I had to go at least business class. I said, look, I'm not, not a prima donna, even though I am, um, I'll be happy to go, be happy to, to, to do it. But, um, cause I had, I could refuse bookings in my, in my deal. It wasn't, I didn't have a booking deal where it was, our dates were mutually agreed upon. And, Jeff actually thought I would not want to go. Sure. Well, cause he, and again, to, I know I, I've said that a few times. I'm not disparaging India. I'm just saying a 20 hour flight. Who the hell wants to sign up for that? Oh yeah. It's, it's brutal. And, and so I said, look, fly me over business class and, and I'm fine. 
And the deal was they didn't want to fly me over business class with the rest of the talent because looks bad. Didn't want heat or anything like that. I said, well, I really don't care. Um, that's my deal. And that's what we'll do. So they came back, said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll fly you over there, but, um, you'll be flying separate than everyone else. Well, Lo and behold, I was flying separate with Scott Demore and Josh Matthews. And Josh Matthews actually paid for his upgrade. Um, Scott was kind of in the same same realm that I was in. He wasn't going over there unless it was business. So those guys flew to Houston, spent the night in Houston to get on a flight from Houston to Minneapolis, Minneapolis, I think we went to Heathrow and then Heathrow to Mumbai. I think that was the routing or maybe coming back. We went through Paris. I don't even know. So not only was it a long flight, but it had connections too. But again, it was a nice, the, the, it was Air India or something like that. And the, the flight was, was good. I had big sleeper beds and shit like that. But we got, <coughs> oh God, we, um, some of us got hammered in the Minneapolis lounge. Who is some of us? Josh Matthews. Okay. Uh, got hammered in the Minneapolis lounge. And just was obnoxious as hell. So, man, I'm a, I'm old school in the way that you learn from your mistakes. And I had learned a while ago for those long international trips, you don't drink for 20 hours on a plane. No. Not a good idea. Because it dehydrates you and it just takes you three days to recover on the other side. So I'm drinking my water, I'm eating, I'm not not drinking a lot of alcohol at all. Um, Josh continued. He was hammered. He was he was uh feeling no pain until we landed, then he started feeling the pain. But man, India was great. We stayed in this beautiful hotel that had great buffets for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, the food was tremendous. The hotel was super nice. Had a big mall next door to it. I went shopping in the mall. Um, the Sony Arena, where we went, the arena, fuck. It was a soundstage, a dirt floor soundstage. And they had to bring in all of these trailers and just uh, fly packs and everything to do the TV there, but it was in the middle of a, like a movie. Basically they shot Bollywood movies there all around. So they had all these sets and, and people living all around this thing. And that was a little sad because you'd walk down the streets and, and see these people and just incredible poverty. Um, when we landed, you drive through uh, in Mumbai and you see people on the streets. So 
you have a sidewalk, you have a curb, and then you have your street where people can park there. And as you come by, you notice that you see the bodies lining the streets. Their heads were at the curb and their feet were out into the street, on the street, laying down long ways. Shoulder to shoulder for I can't tell you how far. It was the damnedest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Just felt like billions, but I mean, it was probably tens of thousands. Is you just make your way to the hotel, then you get into downtown Mumbai, and it's like being in in London or New York City. So that was that part of it was kind of shocking. And you talk about heat, fuck, man, it was like a hundred and. 113 every day. Dusty, hot, miserable. Um, the food at the at the venue was good. At the studios was good, but most people were afraid of it and, and didn't want to eat it. Uh, I doubled as an agent, so I set up a few matches and set up a few uh, different scenes because we really had a skeleton crew, and we shot. Uh, two days there, and about six shows in two days. Met with the heads of Sony and India and all that wonderful stuff, but it was um, it was brutal. Now coming home, okay, I had to. The deal was I had to be on the first flight out coming home because my kids were graduating from high school, and then my kids graduated on a Saturday. We had a show in Baltimore the next day at uh, Jimmy's Famous Seafood. Somewhere along there, when I landed, I landed and was just about as sick as sick could be. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I think I'm just tired. So I got home, went right to bed, made my kids... uh, Graduation, thought I was going to die. I was so friggin' sick and uh, coming out of both ends. And then I had to get on the plane and go to Baltimore. And I remember even calling you the night before trying to get a hold of you. That's when you were out with uh, Kuhn and Silva. Looking for a hotel room. Yeah, and your drunken debauchery. There was no drunken debauchery. There was drunken debauchery. Not with those fucks. Oh yeah, no. Remember, they both had their their face masks and. Oh God. Silva had his tortilla maker to yeah. make fresh tortillas in the morning and he, stuff. So he, he did bring a tacos. hot plate. That was real. All right, Bruce. Let's run a timeout right now to tell everybody about something going on with your dogs. Uh, no, I'm not talking about uh, a couple of your favorite boys behind the scenes like Michael Hayes or Ed Kosky. No, I'm talking about your real dogs like Roger, like. Uh, Roger, it's Dodger, damn it. The official dog of something to wrestle with. Really? That's what I said, Roger. You know, <sighs> all right. I, all right. So I don't know Roger, but I do know Dodger. what Roger. That's what I'm saying, Roger. I know what Rod- Roger. Dodger. <laughs> exactly. I got you. I know what Roger likes. Roger likes solid gold. But here's why you like it for him. Did you know that up to 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut? 
or that supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies. Solid Gold is passionate about gut health because the healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of pets. And Solid Gold is the first holistic pet food company in America, started way back in 1974 by Sissy McGill. Now, Sissy was a trailblazer and a pioneer who disrupted a male-dominated industry and created a natural pet food, quote, before it was cool. Sissy was inspired by European pet food and the fact that European Great Danes live longer than their American counterparts. And her first recipe has now provided high-quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. And we're really excited to have Solid Gold as a part of our show because my dogs love Solid Gold, Bruce's dogs love Solid Gold, and your dogs will too. Solid Gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high-quality food is the best way to impact our pets' mind, body, and spirit. And for more than 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized this holistic pet food category, and they have a recipe for any cat or dog's dietary needs, including healthy whole grain and grain-free options like wet food, supplements like seal meal and 100% human grade bone broth for bone broth. Easy for me to say for dogs. Now it may have been tough for me to say, but man, your dog, Roger, he really loves bone broth. Doesn't he? Dude, when it's time to eat Dodger, Wally and Rowdy all come running, but it's when you twist the top on the bone broth, they just like start salivating and go nuts. And it is, their absolute favorite and solid gold is the place to get it because they have the best bone broth according to dodger and walter roger loves it and you will too solid gold foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods they're going to balance with living probiotics and fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids they're going to support gut health and nourish your pet inside and out do what Bruce and I are doing. Get your dog on the solid gold plan, man. Right now, see the solid gold deal of the week. Go to solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. I want to give that to you again. That's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle to see the deal of the week. Remember, it's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. And if Roger loves it, you will too. Hey, yeah. so chat me up though. This, uh, this Sony, I think it was called Sony six was the division. I mean, you actually, I mean, you did some hobnobbing with some pretty powerful folks there. I think the CEO of Sony pictures in India yourself and Scott Demore even did like a trophy presentation. What was the relationship Very like prestigious. As, as best you could tell between Sony and impact because, you know, and I realize over here, we may not have a, a, a real grasp of how big that is, but Sony's a giant global brand. I, India is a huge country. I mean, there's just a ton of folks over there. So the idea that you could maybe carve out a niche for yourself, I mean, uh, WWE it certainly took a stab at this as well with, with, uh, pushing gender Mahal in a big way. What can you tell us about the, the Sony impact relationship? India is probably one of the, the largest users of social media. And when I say that, like YouTube and yep. things like that, where they go get their entertainment from their phones. And that's relatively inexpensive because you don't have cable and people don't have 
People don't have homes, a lot of them, and they don't have TV to watch, but they'll watch on their phone. They can get a phone relatively inexpensive, and they watch all this on the phone. So they consume the entertainment. They, they consume the property and watch it. So to Sony, that was a big deal to them, and they they looked at that as very, very important. Um, they got it was the thing. They got it. They understood the product. They understood the power of placing everything else around it. Uh, so it, it was, it was pretty good to, to do that. We brought in paid for uh crowd to come in and young people, good looking young people. And they would get there probably an hour before showtime and they'd usher them in and tell them when to cheer, when to boo. Some of it they knew, some of it they didn't. But they were there, God, to cheer and boo on, on command. And for that, for those shows, I pretty much ran the gorilla position and you know went back and forth, setting matches up and also doing whatever it is I had to do live out in front of the crowd. So... Well, it was a busy, it was a busy few days to say the very least. And then I paid for it for about, for about the next week, June 19th, sick as a dog in the observer mouse word, right? The first show from Mumbai was notable because the show itself, when you were watching it looked like it was from the impact zone. The two studios are remarkably similar and they didn't dress the studio up to look different. The crowd was more enthusiastic, partially because they were prompted to be, and because it was something new to them. I just think that's fascinating to me. He did put, uh, the serious wrestling is good. And Bobby Lashley has been booked better as world champion than WWE champions. Still, there is way too much authority figure backstage stuff. The show had four different Bruce Pritchard segments in what seemed like 45 minutes. I think Pritchard is very good. As far as he's a good talker, knows how to talk to a wrestling audience, but I'd rather have a more baby face authority figure just because the heel stuff is overdone. But it also rather they used it sparingly instead of almost the guy who was carrying the show. Also in 2017, the Rockstar Spud versus Swoggle thing just feels really out of place. Did you ever think, you know, and obviously you're your biggest fan, but did you ever think, dude, we got too many segments for me in this? Oh God, yes. Absolutely. But then again. You can never have too much of me. Oh my God. Listen to you. What? What? Well, I just know that, you know, sometimes it's easier to see the forest for the trees, but you guys also probably feel like, well, we need to leverage the podcast audience. And if there's any chance this could get a little more traction, we'll find a way to do it. No, it, it was. And especially on that trip in particular was limited resources. There's just less folks here. So somebody has got to do it. Might as well be you. right. Right. And so it was that makes sense. one of those that I had to be in damn near every scene. It felt like to bring it forward. Let's fast forward to the end of June. Uh, Meltzer would write the company released agents, Al snow, Pat Kenny, and Shane Helms this past week, which is clearly budget cutting. Kenny who's 49 has been with the company since 2003. 
Snow, who's 53, started at the end of 08. Helms, who's 42, started in 2015. They're going with Sanjay Dutt and Abyss as the agents since they can double as wrestlers. Dutt is tight with Jarrett and is in charge of finding the top unsigned talent and rebuilding the X division, among other things. The fact they've had to start letting people go when they already have a skeleton crew to begin with is not a good sign for right now and Anthem's ability to grow the company. As far as the choices went, Jarrett is going to want his people in and Helms is closely aligned with the Hardys who aren't there anymore. There's also a ton of frustration with the reality that as long as they're on pop TV, their numbers are pretty limited in what they can draw, but with the numbers they're getting and it being pro wrestling with its lack of appeal to advertisers, these numbers make it hard to get to a bigger outlet. Citing what you used to do with spike got them pop, but in the TV world, spike is so many years back. Now it's ancient history. You're friends with all these guys, Al snow, Pat Kenny, and Shane Helms. Were you, uh, Surprised, disappointed. What's your reaction to hear that they're gone? Well, I was a little disappointed because they were my ride a lot of times <laughs> and I enjoyed being around. I thought they were, I thought they were good at what they did, but I also understood the cost cutting, cutting side of things and the reality that, you know, look, we did six shows in India with half the crew and didn't miss a beat in a lot of respects. So to make the argument that, oh, okay, we need more people was kind of hard to do when you were only doing two shows a day. So that was, um, it just was cost cutting and, and it was time. So those things unfortunately happen and you got to roll with the punches. The Al Snow Kenny thing really jumped out to me just because they had been there for so long. Uh, but it, you know, Jeff ultimately decides to keep Sanjay and Abyss around. Pretty interesting. They both wound up in WWE. It's a small world, is it not, Mr. Pritchard? It definitely is. Definitely is. Um, you never say goodbye, you always say so long. Uh, in early July, Meltzer would write the company sent out a press release that Impact Wrestling had acquired Global Force Wrestling. The deal essentially is that uh, the company Anthem Wrestling Entertainment, AWE, is the new parent company of Impact slash TNA Wrestling, and that Jeff Jarrett will be on the board of managers and be the chief creative officer and also be in for a cut of ownership stake in the new company. In the release announcing this, they stated that all the Impact and GFW titles will be merged at Slammiversary, although that had been decided months ago. Literally, as we're recording this, this is still all a part of a lawsuit. This is just the Jeff Jarrett story is like a movie. Is it not? <laughs> yeah. With a lot of peaks and valleys to it. I mean, those are the best movies. Uh, impact does another round of rebranding at their most recent television. This is in July. Now the graphics read GFW impact exclamation point wrestling. So the promotions call letters are GFW for global force wrestling. And, uh, as you mentioned, they did 13 weeks of TV tapings back in Vegas in 2015, but they weren't able to sell the show. And now we're going to rebrand again. And I guess just about everybody feels like the TNA name just has too much negative baggage. 
even Billy Corgan, when he was trying to buy the company said the earliest and the first move would be to change the name. Let's talk about Slammiversary. This is, uh, well, it's, it's quite the show and we've talked now for a long time to sort of set the stage, but I just wanted to give your backstory of how this all came together. I watched it this week for the first time. I didn't watch it back then. I hate to disappoint you, Bruce, but we've got, uh, Borash and Matthews wrestling on the show. So instead we're going to have commentary from Don West, uh, a TNA original and Robert Flores, who, uh, what was obviously a talking head on ESPN and, and a big fan of wrestling and even T's doing a Ric Flair podcast once, but that went the way all Ric Flair podcasts do. The, uh, the first match here is quite a match, man. When you look at all the talent that's on here, it got three stars in the observer, but you've got Santana and Ortiz who are now part of AEW uh, in a four way over Garza jr. Who we know from WWE programming, Laredo kid, uh, Ishimori and Marafuji, uh, dragon and Ohio del Fantasma. Also some folks you've seen from WWE. What a crew here, you know, when you've got. Uh, this, this presentation is the crash, which is a Lucha Libre promotion, AAA, Noah from Japan. You've got talent from all over in this opening match. And this was some of the stuff that impact did really well. I thought, what'd you think of this match? Well, again, it was something that you took the guys, you took Conan and you took Demore, and you took these guys that had contacts to pretty much everybody out there from all the independents and different promotions around the world and pulled in those favors and pulled in. That's what Jeff was doing during that time. Global force wrestling. Jeff was going out making relationships with different promotions and saying, Hey, here's what we're doing. We, we don't want to be one giant force, but we want to be kind of like the old NWA. We want to feature different promotions and different wrestlers from all these different promotions. And that was the idea behind it. Now they were using, um, they're using fans or they're using talent from all the different promotions. And in one place, you got to see it all. I got to tell you, I love this presentation of LAX. Uh, I've always thought Conan was cooler than the other side of the pillow. He's paired with homicide here. He's got Santana and Ortiz with him. This was just great stuff. Uh, Conan's presentation here was, was, was cool and different. And I don't know. It stood out. I liked this version of LAX. What'd you think? I like that version of LAX too. And it was the first time that I actually had the opportunity to experience it live and, and feel it. And the reaction from the crowd was a genuine reaction of excitement. And I, I fell in love with them at that point. I was like, Hey, I, I didn't get it before probably cause I hadn't been exposed to it in a live arena atmosphere. And being exposed to it that way, you get a different feel and appreciation for the, for the talent. I hate to ask this because well, variety of reasons, but I'm going to anyway, sometimes when you see a great tag team, you, you start to wonder what would they be like as singles? This is one of the first times that you got to work with Santana and Ortiz. When you watch their work, does one stand out more than the other? Do you think there's going to be a breakout star of the two? 
I think they're great as a team. And that was the beauty of it. I agree. And it's funny you say that because I was almost asking a trick question. I'm like, I think these guys are, these guys can be a long-term tag team, uh, and have great success there. And I'll tell you this Garza jr. Man, he really stood out here for me. And, uh, I know you've had an opportunity to work with him recently, but there's a lot of young, impressive talent that's gone through impact over the years. And this is just another example of that, right? Yeah. And Garza jr. I mean, good Lord, I, I worked with his uncle and the whole family for many years before, before there was a Garza jr. And definitely a talented family. Let's go to the next match. We've got Moose teaming up with D'Angelo Williams to take on Eli Drake and Chris Adonis. We should mention that Chris Adonis is the former Chris masters. Uh, and they've got a former NFL player named Gary Barnage there. We've also got Austin Dillon, a NASCAR driver. Uh, they're all in Moose and Williams corner. So we're trying to do what we can. And this feels like a Jeff Jarrett play. Let's get as much sort of mainstream publicity from as many places as we can. And this gives your promotion or your, your PR department an opportunity to really reach some new avenues to try to maybe get some new eyeballs for the pay-per-view. What'd you think of the match? Uh, D'Angelo Williams teaming with Moose here to, to uh, pick up a win over Eli Drake and Chris Adonis. It was what it was. Look, you know, trying to bring anybody in from the outside and you teach them a couple of things. Um, they wanted to work, I think, for what it was. It was a good, good job had by all, but it just was what it was. Talk to me about Moose. Moose is a guy who it felt like once upon a time was uh, going to be a real bright spot and was going to have quite a push with impact. It feels like it's been a little stop and start. And a lot of folks wondered over the years when he had other opportunities, why he didn't go a different direction. What can you tell us about your opinion of Moose's work and, uh, what you expect from him in the future? Well, I don't know what to expect from him in the future because I, I, I will tell you at the time watching him and I tried to talk to him while I was there is that here's a big 300 pounder, big guy, impressive athlete that can do a lot of shit, but he just does it to show you that he can do it. Mm. And there's not really any rhyme or reason to why he does it. And when you see a big 300-pounder do a moonsault, do all these crazy flips every single match, after the 10th time I've seen it, I've seen it, and it's boring. And he did so much stuff that it's like, okay, you're a big guy, and you do all these flippity-fly things. Okay, but I didn't see a lot of personality. And I do believe that Moose has personality. Um, But I think that once he gets into the ring, he wants to show you what a great athlete he is. And he's he lacks psychology. I can't tell you what I I haven't seen any of his stuff recently at all. I can only speak to to that time there. And it's uh, well, it's worth mentioning. He was relatively me. He was relatively new to wrestling when you saw him. He's got a little more seasoning on him now and I'm pulling for him. Hope he does well, but his backstory with him being, you know, an NFL player and somebody who had a pretty decent little run with the Falcons and then bounced around a little bit. It does feel like something that could be bigger, but so did once upon a time, Chris masters. Now he's Chris Adonis. 
uh, he had quite the run with WWE and, and was featured in a big way. And then, uh, I believe he had some personal struggles here, there that he's thankfully pulled the nose up and, and he's living a great life now, but you had an opportunity to work with him here. What was it like to work with your old pal, the former Chris masters here? I always enjoyed working with the masters. I just think that Chris had a great body and was so much. And Chris was trying to play the part and Chris was actually kind of a shy, shy guy in many respects. And that came across in his work that I don't think he ever really just let go. So, you know, Chris always just was holding back. Chris is another good example of someone trying to play wrestler. Um, the human being, Chris Mordeski, is a is a very personable, fun guy. And I just never got the same personality out of his in-ring work. If you can't get enough Bruce Pritchard and something to wrestle, you're going to love adfreeshows.com. Check it out. Here's a clip from adfreeshows.com that you can't hear anywhere else. So you, you kind of look back and look at everything that Mr. Perfect did just with such fondness because his timing was impeccable. And this is also a good time because you had the genius there who was great fodder and, um, it just, it, it oh, Jesus. And Kurt, the, the, the bump outside, holy cow, good shit. This is, uh. Maybe some of my peak fandom, you know, we often talk about how 89 was my favorite year besides 97, but as we cruise into 90, I'm at my all time height of my fandom as a kid. I think when this aired, I would be eight. I'd turn nine in a couple of months. Uh, this is as good as it gets. Who was your favorite wrestler when you were eight years old? You really have to ask that question. I assume it was Dory fucking funk. Goddamn right. I just can't the Daniel. I can't imagine being that excited as a kid about Dory Funk. I had Hulk Hogan. You had Dory Funk. And Wahoo McDaniel. Okay. Well, I had another, I had an Indian that I loved. His name was ultimate warrior. No joke, no comment, nothing. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to adfreeshows.com right now. And you'll get every something to wrestle early and ad free for just nine bucks a month. And we've also got a ton of great bonus content for you to check out, including more than 20 live something to wrestles with our very special guests. And of course, all of the fun and silliness that we did at Starcast, including the roast of Bruce Pritchard, a Monday night war debate between Bruce Pritchard and Eric Bischoff and the last live something to wrestle. You don't want to miss it. And don't forget, once upon a time, Bruce and I had a separate Patreon where we did bonus content every single month. You get all of that in the archives as well. Of course, our show notes and so much more. Check it out for yourself right now. If you dig Bruce Pritchard and you want more something to wrestle, but less ads, it's hard to beat. Adfreeshows.com. What about Eli Drake? This is a name that uh, we haven't heard you talk a lot about. Uh, allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo, once upon a time, you guys didn't always get along. What can you tell us about Eli Drake? Me and Eli Drake, I met him here in TNA. So, um, as far as I know, all good experiences. <laughs> I'm sorry. All good experiences. All good experiences with me. Yeah. 
two and at least three. to my knowledge, and I thought he was a very talented guy and um, thought he was good in the ring, thought he was good on the mic. 37 years old, Eli Drake is now. Of course, he did have uh, a little bit of a run with WWE 2013 to 2014, but uh, probably most notable for his impact stuff. And I think, gosh, probably a year ago, he popped up with, uh, with, with the NWA. So we hope he's doing well there when things get back to normal. The next match on this pay-per-view though, Slammiversary from 2017 is EC3 working with James Storm. These are two guys that are sort of TNA born and bred. They get 10 minutes and 37 minutes. It's a strap match. What'd you think of, uh, of this EC three win over James storm? He winds up getting the win with the pedigree. And then they send a bunch of medical personnel all around James storm. Uh, chat me up. I thought that EC three was one of the most promising talents in, in all of TNA, uh, throughout his entire run there for whatever reason, I don't think that it's been able to come out and there's, there was a mental block and I don't think that my opinion was shared with others there. I think a lot of people, the general consensus was that he was not taken seriously because he didn't take the business seriously, that EC3 didn't take the business seriously. And I didn't see that. I, I saw a guy who came and looked for, for advice, try to apply it, but then he would apply it for a certain amount of time. Then he would go back into his own head and do what he thought, you know, would be entertaining or funny. So sometimes EC3 could be his own worst enemy, but he definitely had the talent, definitely had personality. I think people were really, really excited when they saw him sign with WWE showed up at an NXT takeover in the crowd and people were really pumped about what that could mean for him in the future. James storm. Again, we mentioned he was at, uh, a full sale episode of NXT and people lost their minds. Like, oh my gosh, it's finally happening. Neither one really had sustained success in WWE. Why do you think that is? It's just. You know, they, it's a different animal. Right. I, I think it's small fish or what is it? Uh, big fish, big fish small, small pond. pond. Yeah. For, for both of those guys. And, and James has always been one that as soon as you get to a point with James where he's over and in a story and doing well, it, it just seems to fizzle out. Well, I hope that, um, they both find, you know, what they're looking for in wrestling, uh, EC three, like looks like a real life action figure. And he's always had tremendous promos, but it does feel like for whatever reason, he couldn't keep whatever sustained momentum he would get with WWE. And you've said before, and I don't, I want to paraphrase, but you mentioned on a show in passing something along the lines of you feel like at different times, maybe James storm is scared of his own success or something like that. I do. I think that, that James is very talented, but I think that as soon as he gets to that point of, all right, we're ready to go. Something inevitably happens that will, will take it away. And nine times out of 10, it's, it's been James that has not been able to take it to that next level. Well, I hope he has fun. I've enjoyed his work, even back to the, uh, America's most wanted days and TNA and 
a great guy in real life. Let's talk about the next match. This is something that we could do a whole episode on. It's Joseph Park teaming with Jeremy Borash to take on Josh Matthews and his mystery partner, Scott Steiner. That's right. Scott Steiner is in a pay-per-view in 2017. It's a no DQ match. Joseph Park is the, I don't know, alter ego. He is the Clark Kent to Abyss's Superman. And he's going to be teaming with Jeremy Borash in their teasing. Don't be nervous about leaning on old friends. And of course they're talking about Janice, the, the bat with nails in it. Uh, there's going to be thumbtacks involved here. They're going to have a regular match in the ring and then brawl through the back. Eventually there's going to be a chase with people in a golf cart and then ultimately people in a car and, uh, people are going <laughs> to use fire extinguishers and then take big bumps into pools. And this is sort of a continuation from Jeremy Borash. I would assume of all the stuff he did with the, the broken hearty stuff, the cinematic look and feel that we've really gotten more acquainted with here in 2020 because of the coronavirus. but it brings out, of course, the return of abyss. They get super hardcore. Uh, and he, Borash even does a top rope, like super fly splash, but comes down right on his hands into the thumbtacks. It's a feel good little moment, a cute match for what it is. Meltzer would even say this was entertaining for what it was, but I'm curious what you thought back in 2017, when they're doing all of this cinematic stuff with an alter ego of abyss and Scott Steiner, Jeremy Borash and Josh Matthews. Well, first of all, uh, I like Joe Park so much more than I like Abyss. <laughs> uh, can't even begin. Inside joke, folks. Um, Abyss gets it. So does Joe Park. About Chris what? Park may not get it, but but Joe <laughs> and Abyss do. Uh, I thought it was fun. I mean, it was... It was a Gaga story that needed a Gaga ending. And, and to put a, put this in the context, when Josh Matthews is threatening to throw Jeremy Borash into the pool, he sort of olays him and bam, Matthews is wet. Borash does a full flip into the pool that we get multiple angles of as if it's a devastating cannonball. Uh, but with a little help from his friend who just happens to live in the pool shark boy. Yes. Shark boy is in the pool and bites, <laughs> bites Josh Matthews in the ass and even makes his way to the ring later. This is good, but silly fun. And I just, uh, I can't wait to hear your take on this because I feel like if this happened on a show you weren't on, you would shit all over it. But because it was a show you were on, you're going to dig your heels in a little bit. No, it was Gaga. It was it was haha and it was Gaga, but it was fun haha and Gaga that I don't think anyone ever looked at this and said, "Okay, this is going to be serious." So to that it lived up to exactly what it was. It was Gaga and by God, it was fun. That's pretty much just what it was. It was Gaga, but, uh, I agree. It was fun. I was excited to see Abyss back and James Mitchell and some of the silliness. I'm curious 
everybody has a crazy Scott Steiner story. Was there a crazy Scott Steiner story during your TNA run in 2017? Thank God. You know, I didn't have a lot of interaction with Scott during his last TNA run. Um, I know that he showed up one night early, uh, trying to get into the commissary and was denied after we had already left for the day. That was about the only fun Scott Steiner story that came out of the time that I was there. You say early, like what time did he arrive? I think about three 30 in the morning. So you wanted to go get something to eat at three 30 in the morning. Well, in his defense, the food is great at universal studios. <laughs> Next up, we've got Eddie and Alicia Edwards beating Davey Richards and Angelina love in a full metal mayhem match. It gets a star and a half. Um, Meltzer would say a lot of spots here. The stuff with the women didn't look good at all. You know, Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards once upon a time had a really, really big reputation amongst hardcore wrestling fans. For whatever reason, it feels like they didn't get a lot of momentum going here in impact. Any memories of working with these guys? Really, really nice guys, man. Uh, I just. Didn't didn't jive for me. I just didn't, I don't know if I wasn't in, into what they were doing or what it was, but didn't jive for me. I just didn't necessarily care for it. Davey Richards, I believe is, uh, taking a break from wrestling. I mean, uh, he started that. I think he was injured later that year in 2017. And I think he's sort of been on break ever since. Do you think we'll ever see him? get the fire back again. I mean, I know never say never who would have ever predicted you would be in TNA much less in WWE. Now, do you think that, you know, he's done for good or what would you say? Well, again, I'll go back to never say never and looking at what happens in the wrestling business. There's always going to be some time, some place where you go. Yeah. Okay. I'll do this one. And we may see him back. Eddie Edwards still with, uh, impact I believe he's re-signed there. Uh, Alicia Edwards, Angelina love anything on them. You want to touch on before we move to the next match? No, I, I, you know, again, I think that Angelina love saw her best stuff in the beautiful people and that, uh, she had a hell of a run there. Let's talk about the next match. And I'm curious to get your take on this. It's for the X division title is Sanjay Dutt and Loki and a two out of three falls. Loki is going to be working this match in, in, in a suit and tie, which he had been doing a lot in this era. It's a, it's a unique presentation. It gets three stars. They get plenty of time, 18 minutes and 14 seconds. I first uh, had Sanjay Dutt on my radar, gosh, probably 16, 17 years ago in TNA. And he's always been criminally underrated in my opinion. Uh, Loki though has had. Uh, success in various places, but it's been written or said that at times Loki is his own worst enemy. What, what can you tell us about the match? And then let's talk a little bit about the two performers. thought the match was fabulous. Excellent. And I'm a, also a big Sanjay Dutt fan. I think that he's had a hell of a run just in general. And as you say, very underrated. I think that he kind of scooted under the radar for many years and was someone that I think in WWE or anywhere just because of his work. And he's got a very wry personality. 
but without a doubt, I think an underrated talent. Low key is low key. And working with low key, I got to tell you, uh, I always had fun working with low key because he is different. And the way that he looks at the business and the way that I look at the business, frankly, are a lot of times very similar. So I got to work with Loki very little here, but I worked with him at MLW and found him to be extremely intelligent, um, passionate. And sometimes his passion may be misconstrued for something else. I liked him. I liked him and I, I enjoyed my time working with him. Next up, we've got Sienna. Uh, she's going to beat Rosemary to unify the GFW and impact knockout titles. They go 10 minutes and 32 seconds. Gail Kim is going to come out before the match. Uh, it's nice that they're sort of paying homage to Gail Kim. Uh, very, very talented performer. This match though. Well, less than good. A star and a quarter. what do you think of this one? I thought it was there. Uh, not a fan. And I, I loved the Rosemary character with crazy Steve and abyss and all that. I, I truly loved the Rosemary character. However, you know, uh, Sienna, I didn't get, I thought that she took herself a little bit too seriously, uh, for whatever reason. So it just, uh, to me, it was a mix of styles and not a good mix of styles. We also but, see uh, a run in here from Laurel Van Ness, who we now know as Chelsea green, but you were real high on her character where she had the, the crazy bride look, the jilted bride. What, what can you tell us about? Yeah. Because you believed it with her. There were, there were moments in dealing with her where you're looking at her going, holy shit, she is nuts. She's crazy. And I just thought that she pulled that off really, really well. And was a lot of fun to work with. Uh, next up, we've got Jeff Jarrett. He's going to come out and talk about his family being with him, and he's going to tell the fans that they've been his wrestling family and how his family has been in this business for more than 70 years. And it's Jarrett Meltzer would say it was Jarrett doing his charming politician speech, thanking the audience. They were lukewarm as far as their reaction. He told Bobby Lashley and Alberto El Patron that they'd better bring their air game a game after what had already happened. And our main event here, Alberto and Bobby get 18 minutes and seven seconds. Alberto picks up the win. He's going to retain the GFW title and win the impact title. Uh, Meltzer would write that Alberto came out with his father and his brother. And lastly came out with King Mo and Dan Lambert, the owner of American top team, as well as a bunch of the, uh, American top team fighters, including Jeff Monson and Marcus, uh, this is a, a, a good match. Three and a quarter stars. After the match, we've got Jeff Jarrett, Scott Demore, Ed Nordham, Mara Fuji. Uh, everybody's giving them a hand, but for whatever reason, it doesn't feel like the crowd is all the way into it. And I believe Paige is at ringside for this one. What uh, What do you remember about the main event of the show here with uh, Alberto and Bobby? See, I thought it was good. I thought it was one, was one of those that Del Rio got the most out of Bobby and they had a hell of a match. I mean, it was a story 
for Bobby. I think everybody was looking to get, get a little bit more out of him at the time. And I thought Del Rio did. I thought Del Rio did a hell of a hell of a job there. So the match was what it was. It was to get to a story and to get to trying to unify the championships and all that wonderful stuff. But uh, we, I thought they delivered a great match. And, and when you look at it individually, the the matches and, and some of the big things that you wanted to accomplish, I think that they did what they were supposed to do. Um, some not so great, but. In this particular situation, looking at looking at Lashley and looking at uh, I'm going to leave that one alone. I'm not even going to take it, Conrad. Wow. Not even going to take it. Well, we're, we're rounding uh, third here. All right, um, but I thought that it showed everybody. Hey, Lashley is a big time player. Let's talk about you. We, uh, we know that you're not going to last too much longer with impact here. You're at the next set of tapings, which happened immediately. Uh, but then you missed the next set of tapings because you and I were doing a podcast and we had already sold tickets and we couldn't really back up on that. And then you come in for another set of tapings and Meltzer would write Jim Cornette was among the many newcomers at the tapings this week. Cornette did TV appearances on the live show, seemingly as the new authority figure replacing Bruce Pritchard. They did an in-ring thing where Pritchard announced that Alberto was suspended and voluntarily gave up the title and that they were giving the title to Bobby Lashley, the previous champion. Cornette came out at this point after they'd been teasing a mystery guy was here. They ended up arguing and Pritchard, who was playing a smarmy heel instead of his prior babyface authority figure role, wanted Cornette kicked out. Cornette then revealed that Anthem had hired him and they were tired of self-serving people running the company. And he announced they were going to decide a new champion in the ring and not hand somebody the title announcing a gauntlet match for next week's TV. This was taped on eight 17 and eight 24 Cornette then fired Pritchard. Pritchard had commitments as they were filming an episode of his podcast in a live location in New York over the weekend. And he'd made the commitment before these dates were announced. The way it was done on television led me to believe Pritchard could come back as a heel feuding with Cornette. The way it was described to us is that Pritchard is gone for now, given he wasn't back at the next tapings and those won't happen until November. The angle seemed to leave it open that he could return. Although one company source said he was done and another said he was done at least for now. Talk to me a little bit about what happened, how you knew that they were going in a different direction, how that was communicated to you. Uh, because it's not going to be too long and you're going to start working with MLW and then fast forward just to. I mean, not very long at all. And you're back with WWE. What a remarkable story, but let's talk about the end of impact here. Well, it really a simple story is that we had New York booked in New York. We had two shows booked back to back and with those two shows, you kind of look at, okay, in two days, you'll make more money. Yeah. There's this opportunity to make this amount of money, and there's two days, there's this amount of money. Um, it was a no-brainer, and uh, I explained that I wouldn't be able to make those dates, so they came up with the idea to have Jim Cornette come in and be the interim, uh, I guess, figurehead. 
Jimmy was supposed to come in until Bound for Glory, I guess it was, and then I would make my return then. We shot a bunch of stuff after the fact with me and Karen Angle, and I think we shot I think we shot something with Jeff. Uh, we shot something else with Cornette and I backstage that was supposed to be played in a later date. None of that played. And, yeah, I just, it wasn't, it was amicable as hell. It was, we'll see you, basically, we'll see you in November, see you in October, whenever the hell that, that date was. And that was the end of it. So, I'd come home, and I don't know, maybe a week or two after the tapings, and Cornette called me and told me, he says, hey, yeah, I just got off the phone with whoever he got off the phone with, and they told him that we were done. So, so we're done. I said, what do you mean we're done? And he says, yeah. He goes, uh, they told me they didn't need me for uh, Bound for Glory, and they didn't, you know, you were done, and so on and so forth. We're not even going to pay off this angle. Could, could you make Bound for Glory? Could we at least pay off the angle? I, said, I, I mean, I, I don't know. When is it? And I don't see why not. I'd be happy to do it. Um, but he says, Corny just kept saying, we're done. I said, okay, well, I'll find out. So I called Jeff. Uh, Jeff was going through his own issues at the time with the company. And I reached out to Ed Nordholm. And Ed said everything except we're going to release you. He said everything except we don't want to use you anymore or something like that. Finally, I said, hey, Ed. And if you don't want to use me, just say you don't want to use me anymore and uh, send me my release and, and we're good to go. No, no harm, no foul. If I can help you down the road, I'll be happy to help you down the road. But uh, I've got this contract hanging out there. I've got no dates. And I've heard from your people uh, that we're pretty much done. Just tell me I'm done and send, and send me my release. He said, well, if you want a release, you can, uh, you can request it and I'll, I'll send you a release. So while I had him on the phone, I sent an email to Bob Ryder. Bob Ryder immediately sent me a release, still on the phone with Ed Nordholm. I got it, I printed it, I signed it, and I uh, scanned it and sent it back. And I said, Ed, I've signed my release. Really nice to meet you. Maybe on down the road. Um, call me if you need me. And other than that, thank you very much. And that was the end of it. And Jeff... <laughs> called me the next day and says, what the hell? Oh my God, no, we're going to get this all straight. I said, if we get it straight, we'll get it straight. I mean, I'll sign another deal like I had before, but for the time being, um, I don't need this hanging over my head. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's worth mentioning, you know, cause I know a lot of people will hear that and say, uh, why would someone be so anxious to be cut loose? But the reality is, you know, the podcast was, uh, one of your best paying gigs in the history of wrestling. So <laughs> it's not exactly as if, you know, well, what am I going to do? It was just, you know, this was a nice little thing to try and see if we could, you know, let one hand wash the other and build together. And then when that didn't seem to be catching fire and everybody wanted to do something different, no big deal. Right. And you know, it doesn't. 
sound, but it was the most money I'd ever made in the business at that point was all from the podcast and the live shows. So, um, to, to add anything onto that was, it wasn't that lucrative. It's like, okay, great. It was fun. I did it cause it was fun and I love the business. Yeah. The same reason you, you went to MLW. I mean, it's not like when you were helping yes. court out, it was the biggest paying gig you ever had. You liked pro wrestling. You liked contributing to pro wrestling and you had fun with that. I'm sure we'll talk about it some other time. Let's do a few questions. We uh, went to Twitter a week ago and said, Hey, do you have a question for Bruce on Slammiversary from 2017? Just ask it here. And if you'd like to ask a question for next week's episode, I can't recommend it enough. Go follow us on Twitter at Pritchard show. Carl Hayes wants to know, was there any talent you hadn't worked with in the past that when you left, you thought you could do something special if given a chance in the future? I, I probably thought, uh, EC three and I would have loved to have had another run at Del Rio. Charlie thrower wants to know Bruce, when you returned to impact, did you have any heat for the two TNA episodes you had done? None. Everybody wanted to talk to me about it. Rajiv wants to know how come we never saw Sanjay Dutt do anything in the ring with WWE. He was always one of my favorite TNA talents. It seems like he never has a bad match. Uh, Sanjay is ready to move on. Uh, Charlie thrower has a follow-up question. Is Don West, the absolute worst commentator in wrestling history? Yes. But one of the greatest guys you'd ever want to meet. I agree. Totally. Michael Eldridge wants to know, can Bruce reenact his infamous salad steel cage line? Yeah. You know what? Fuck all y'all. Wait a minute. We sold salad salads. Steel steel. Okay. We sold those shirts. <laughs> you can't say fuck you after you. It took me 10 times to watch that before I even could remotely come to the conclusion that anybody could hear that they're going to be in a solid steel cage. Damn it. Michael Eldridge wants to know in Bruce's opinion, had TNA slash impact gotten worse or better in between his two runs with the company. Different. Yeah. Different is the right answer. Instagram, a wrestling historian wants to know, what did you think of Lashley becoming a top player in TNA? Did you have any say in creative during your second tenure? Like you did in your first run there. I didn't have as much say, but I did think that Bobby Lashley was coming into his own without a doubt. Phil Snowden wants to know, where do you rank Josh Matthews and Scott Steiner in the all-time list of tech great tag teams? Not in the top five. Concussed Jones wants to know, did you ever consider asking Conrad to come in as a mouthpiece for someone? Yeah, we talked about it. Conrad didn't want to do it. You did give me a shout out on TV though, which was fun where you're finishing a vignette. He said, yep. Okay. I'll call you back later, Conrad. And, uh, I'm watching at home with Kansas. This is back when she still watched wrestling. She's like, Oh my God, dad, do you think that was you? He was talking to, <laughs> which is just <laughs> tremendous. Um, Andrew, lots of people want to know this. Why was Robert Flores picked over Mike tonight to commentate the pay-per-view, especially with the Matthews Borash feud going on. Lots of people have questions about Flores was today still at odds with the company here? Did he not leave on good terms? What can you tell us about that? No, it wasn't that, uh, Mike left on bad terms in any way, shape or form. It just was that, uh, Robert Flores was someone that they were interested in and 
we're looking we're looking at him to do do more than that. Uh, Antonio wants to know what's Bruce's take on Del Rio slash El Patron. Great wrestler and great look, but it seems like he always gets in trouble. He did even right after this event. Of course, we acknowledge that they ultimately would strip him of the title. And that was when he wanted to hand it to Lashley and Cornette took issue, blah, blah, blah. You know, Del Rio even had a, a fight with Tito Ortiz last year on pay-per-view. And I think they wound up throwing it out. Uh, maybe they thought the fix was in. He's quite the interest. He's got quite the interesting story. What do you think is next for Del Rio? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's one of those guys that's just going to self-destruct. I hope not, but I thought that he was one of the greatest just talents in general. He had a good look, had a good rap and he could go in the ring. So I, I just was always disappointed whenever he'd get derailed. Well, I'm excited that we finally got to do this show. I've wanted to talk about the TNA run for a long time. Of course, famously back then we had, we started to have to say, Hey, we can't talk about current stuff, but enough time has passed. Now we can talk about it and coming up real soon. Our next something to wrestle one of our most requested topics, Kevin Nash in the WWE. We'll touch on the entire diesel run. And then of course his cup of coffee with the NWO when they came back in 2002, what should we expect in our Kevin Nash episode on the next something to wrestle Bruce? Maybe we can examine his weak chin. Oh my God. That is uh, his words, not mine. Oh, I recall. I think you've told the story briefly and we'll get it in long form next time. If you've got a question for us, scoot on over to at Pritchard show on Twitter. You should see something pinned to the top there. Looking for your questions for Kevin Nash. Don't forget. You can get all of these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com, And you can still get a t-shirt for the show and support the show over brucepritchard.com. Until next time, he is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Rock on. So getting rid of Shaka Khan, huh? Yeah. Damn it. Thought for sure he was gone. No, say. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money. But don't take my word for it. Good morning. Hey, this is Dave Silva. I'm calling from Save With Conrad. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing good, buddy. I'm doing great. I listen to you guys all the time. Actually. Oh, man, that's awesome. Five, five, all five podcasts. Okay, so what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? Uh, I was just looking to try to refinance my, my home and try to get a, a better, better deal on my home as well as try to cut out some of my my credit card and uh, other debts that I had, and I had worked with worked with Derek, and he was he was amazing. Like he answered every question that that I needed answered, and he was able to answer those questions as quickly as possible. If he wasn't able to answer thing, he would get back home to me within like within like an hour with with those answers. So he was just flat out amazing to work with. How much money was Save With Conrad able to save you? So they paid off my car, paid off several credit cards. I would say in the long run, probably about 35, 40,000 for sure. That's fantastic, man. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah, man. I, yeah. And thank you for calling. I really appreciate your call. And like I said, um, 
I listen to you guys all the all the time. I've listened to Conrad ever uh, Conrad Thompson ever since the Ric Flair show. So. <laughs> so what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.